Uh, I think the big change for me was when I came back to the UK and I'd been discharged from hospital and then it was like, right, okay, I've just, I'm not ill anymore because I'm not in hospital, but now I'm on the road to, you know, recovery and what life is going to be like forever. Um, and I guess that was the real challenge. And, you know, finding sport again was the thing that probably made me think, right, well, this is it now. And I want a good life still and nothing's going to get in my way. Um, I'm a firm believer that the only barriers you face are the ones that you perceive. Welcome to the Athlete EQ podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Searcy. And today I'm speaking with Sophie Carrigill, member of Team GB's wheelchair basketball team, and current International Wheelchair Basketball Federation World Silver Medalist. In this episode, which is divided into two parts, Sophie and I discuss the age-old question of nature versus nurture when it comes to her choice to make the best of her new life following her accident. Sophie also expresses her opinion on the current point system controversy in wheelchair basketball and discusses how Team GB are beginning to prepare again for Tokyo with their sights set on the podium. The dates came out for mm -hmm. Tokyo now 2021. Yeah. And as we're talking about, you know, we're starting to swing back into that, you know, courts are starting to open back up, mm -hmm. um, things like that. How are you preparing for next year? Yeah. Um, I think it is a case of just starting over. Um, and what I found is we've been back on court now two weeks, um, only three mornings a week. Um, you know, we're still trying to keep everything as safe as possible. So we're just starting slowly back into stuff. But I've really found that we trained full time, like nine to five, Monday to Friday. Like we had a hectic schedule. And I actually don't think that was very conducive to success. I think you can definitely overtrain and overthink about training, um, especially with such a skill driven sport that shooting is such a big part of our sport you know, like something like netball or hockey, maybe not everyone is responsible for scoring. You know, you have a, you, you're in defense or your midfield or yeah. whatever. So I think when it's only five players on the court and you're all asked at least once to score, I think you can get so wrapped up in your shooting technique, your, um, you know, shot process, things like that that actually having a break um, has made me completely reset. And I'm just now, I feel so free. Like it's kind of weird, but I just, yeah, have a sense of freedom around not worrying about making mistakes, not worrying about it not going in, but really focusing on the process and like the work that goes around the ball going in the basket, going in the hoop, you know. And um, there's so much more that's important. And I think we've did a lot of work as a team, like over the, you know, online, obviously, um, around what we want our sport to look like, what we, how we want to play. You know, we've done a lot of video stuff, analysis, things like that, that we've used the time wisely um, to be able to really think about how we want to play. Um, and ultimately now we're putting those things in place when we're coming back on court. Um, so yeah, it has been nice to just start afresh. You know, you pick up so many bad habits when you're training nonstop that having a chance to just like wipe those out and start again is actually a it's a good opportunity um you know we're still 11 months out from going to the games so we've got ages we've got such a long time um to, you know to get all those things right and to start training together again 
Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I'm excited. It's an exciting process. And I think my, my battle with myself is to keep this feeling of feeling free and, you know, and I think that helps with not training every day, actually not training, you know, together every day, still doing whatever I'm doing at home or, you know, fitness wise, gym wise, but the actual specifics on court, uh, I think giving your brain a bit of a rest sometimes is a real benefit. So yeah, I'm hopefully going to just maintain that all the way through. So we'll see how that goes. Hmm. You, you said that, you know, training every day, you can get just caught up in the, the process of this is what we do. This is how we do things. This is how we play. You know, everybody's, you know, and everybody kind of gets into a routine of what is their, you know, what they should be, how they should play, what they should do, that kind yeah. of stuff. And it sounds like this just gave a big pause button Mm-hmm. And as a result, everybody was able to go back and go, well, I know this is the way we've always done it, but does that mean it's the way we should continue to do it going forward? Yeah. But when you're ramping up to an Olympics, mm-hmm. there's not really the time to hit the pause button. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> there's none. No. Uh, yeah, it's been such a, an opportunity. And I think that's how you had to frame it. Of course, it was devastating. And the things that we've been going through, you know, as a whole world is just, you know, it's, it's sad, you know, it's really sad that we're going through this, but you had to, to come out of the other side in a positive place. I think you had to kind of, kind of like flip that switch and think, no, this is an opportunity for me to work on some things outside of basketball that I've not had a chance to give time to. Um, and also, yeah, hit the pause button, let my body recover um, have some rest, have some downtime, um, and start again feeling really fresh. And I think it's going to do us a really big favor, actually. Yeah, it sounds like I, I'm aware um, because I mildly stalked you on social media <laughs> that you recently graduated with a degree in sports psychology. How yeah. much of your mindset around this making it, you know, making COVID an opportunity and everything? How much of that is coming from your understanding of the importance of mindset around playing the sport and how much of it is just naturally you being a positive person? Yeah, I guess that's like a massive question, isn't it? About where does it come from? Is it your learning or is it just naturally? Yeah, nature and nurture. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I think I would say both for me. I think both play a massive part in who I am. You know, the things that I've learned, the things I've gone through that that make me who I am now, all those experiences change who you are. Uh, I've gone through quite a bit of, you know, life stuff, I would say, you know, not just my accident, but things that have happened to me, like, you know, breakups and, you know, the program changing, you know, we lived in Worcester for a bit and then we moved to Sheffield. Those like big changes as such a young girl are just bound to like change who you are. Um, and I think I def- I just trust myself so much. I think that I know that if I'm faced with a challenge, because I've had a few, <laughs> that I'll get through them and I'll be fine. Um, so I think that's probably, I guess, a combination of being quite a positive person anyway. Um, I think that's just who I am. I don't, I get frustrated when people are negative and they see the negative in everything, but that's just who people are, you know, and I'm the opposite. People probably get frustrated in me because everything I see is positive and, you know, um, so that is just, you know, who I am. Um, but obviously I think experiences massively shape 
who you are as well. And and I've learned a lot about psychology. I've learned a lot about the mind. Um, I think it's obviously a massive tool. Um, but through those challenges, I've done a lot. Like we're really fortunate that we have sports psychologists that we work with who have really shaped my thinking. And I did a lot of mindfulness. Um, I don't still necessarily practice that, but I, I stand by the values of it. And, you know, I probably live my life through, uh, you know, not always dismissing thoughts, just letting them be there and not always, you know, not becoming them, not, um, you know, letting them affect my day. I just carry on and I just let them pass. Um, so I guess that's just how I've been able to live my life for at least the past few years. Um, which has really benefited me. So I guess, yeah, the the whole COVID thing was just going to be another challenge that I was going to have to find a way to get through. And thankfully I did. And, you know, we're coming out the other side of it now, hopefully. Um, and yeah, things are looking good. What, when you declared, I, I, I didn't go to university here in the UK. So like in the United States, you declare your major. Right. What made you decide sports psychology? Um. It was really, it was really random, really. Um, when I was, I was about 18, when we, we sort of had to choose what degree we wanted to do. And first of all, obviously, we do an undergraduate degree. Um, I already was interested in psychology before my accident. But it really was those doctors telling me that no matter what they did, you know, they didn't think I was going to survive. And they said, it's something within you that kept you alive you know that whole strength I suppose spirit maybe people call it um or just you know a desire I guess to still be alive and still fight I guess maybe is the right word I I don't know what it is but it's the mind it's so powerful that it can pull you through something like that and not just the survival but everything you know after that the recovery the rehab having a strong mind certainly got me through that. So I suppose that really sparked my interest into psychology and understanding more. I wanted to understand how I could be so positive after something so, you know, pretty terrible happening. Um, So yeah, I was just, I was intrigued. Um, And then I guess when I was coming to choose what degree I wanted to do, I thought, well, I like psychology and I want to know more about that. And I really like sport. And I'm hoping one day I'll be playing sport professionally or, you know, at this point I was sort of on the cusp of the GB team. So I was like, well, this, that makes sense to do a sports psychology degree because it, it'll inevitably help my sporting career, understanding about that and the mind and, uh, you know, how it works and how it works competitively and under pressure and through all things like that. Um, we're definitely the, the reasons that I that I chose to do that as my undergraduate and then I followed that on with doing a master's as well which down the line if I wanted to means I could qualify as a as a sports psychologist uh you know and 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 work as a sports psych so whether that's something I actually pursue I'm not sure but it's definitely helped me shape my career and um understand more about sport and and other people as well and how to get the best out of other people I think still learning massively, you know, no one ever gets it right um, all the time. But uh, yeah, it's definitely helped. Nice. I want to take a little bit of a, a, a left turn yeah. um, in the conversation. And I'm, I'm aware that there's a current controversy going on um, with wheelchair basketball mm-hmm. um, around the point system. Yeah. Um, 
can you can you start with saying a little bit what's like how's the what's the point system how's it work for people who don't know yeah yeah sure. um, and then give us your your view on the on this controversy that's happening yeah so in wheelchair basketball it's actually one of the most inclusive sports which is why it's quite frustrating what's going on at the moment um so as it stands with um the point system uh, you can have a range of classifications that's what they're called which basically means a range of disabilities um, and your disability is scored based on how able you are so how close to being able-bodied you are basically I guess is an easy way to explain it so for someone like me I'm paralyzed from the waist down which means I have no function I've limited core function I've got no function in my legs so they're not I can't generate power through them I can't use them uh, so I just have my upper limbs and upper body to use. So I am a one pointer. So I am the lowest point that you can be. Then it goes in in increments between uh, every 0.5. So 1.5, 2, 2.5, etc. Up to 4.5. And someone who's a 4.5 has probably what we would call a minimal disability. Um, and this is where the controversy is sort of started from. Um, but you might have people who are amputees, for example, who are four pointers um, and things like that. So it really does allow a vast majority of disabilities to play the sport. Um, and then when you are, there's five people that play on court and those five people have to add up to 14 points. So that's where it becomes tactical. That's where you need some high pointers, which are fours, three and a half, things like that. And you need some low pointers to all play together. And that's what makes it fair. So, you know, your opposition can't play five, four pointers because that doesn't add up to 14. And same as you wouldn't play five, one pointers because you'd be at a massive disadvantage because you'd only be playing five points against 14 points. And it's a disadvantage. So that's how it works. It's maybe a bit complicated for people who don't necessarily understand it. Um, and who aren't living it like I obviously am. But the controversy that's going on at the moment is there's two obviously governing bodies that sort of, for us, look after Paralympic sport. So there's the IPC, who are the International Paralympic Committee, and they are in control and the governors of Paralympic sport and the Paralympics. They sort of trickle things down into all the different sporting governing bodies. So for us, it's IWBF, who are the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation. And currently, well, whilst this was all going on, their, their policies around classification didn't align. So the Basketball Federation were happy to have minimal disabilities compete, whereas the IPC were saying you have to have a certain disability from a certain checkbox um, to allow you to compete in the Paralympics. Um, so this is where it all sort of stemmed from. Um, now, the IPC said that if we didn't comply, we wouldn't be able to compete at the Paralympic Games. So obviously, the IWBF, the Basketball Federation, wanted to comply because obviously we want to compete at the Paralympics. Whether they agreed or not with the rules that were in place, they sort of had to. Um, it's probably a lot more detail than that, but that's the gist of it. Um, and ultimately, it has, mean, it has meant that some players, you know, international gold medalists, great athletes um, with, you know, who are registered disabled, who can't play the able-bodied equivalent, have been told that they are ineligible to play the Paralympic sport, um, which, you know, you asked for my opinion on that. And 
I just think that's not right. <laughs> I think if you can't play the able-bodied version, you can't run, you can't jump, you know, there's a key in basketball. So if you can't do those things, you should be able to play the, the disability version of that sport. And it's not even just about the elite level. It's about the grassroots coming through the sport as well. People need to be seen, you know, they need role models. They need their disability to be seen as, yes, you can still achieve, you can go and do these things. You know, if we're putting barriers in place, that's the completely opposite of what I'm about, what I thought the Paralympics was about, you know, in terms of inclusion and, you know, trying to change perception of disability. Well, actually, they're shutting some disabled people out from competing. You know, everybody, if they chose to, has an opportunity to compete in an Olympic sport should they wish to dedicate their life to a sport. You know, not everybody's athletically gifted. Not everybody can get there. But if they want, everyone's got an equal opportunity to go to a sports team or to try a sport and to work hard and get there if they if they chose that. That should be the same for Paralympic sport. Whereas these people in the middle who they've isolated don't have any option. They're, they're completely isolated and excluded, which is what I think disability rights fights against. Um, you know, so I'm obviously quite passionate about this and I find it, um, you know, it's, thankfully it's not affecting me personally. You know, my disability has been named in the categories, so I'm okay. But in terms of the wider sport, it's a massive problem that's ongoing at the moment. And I know the people behind the scenes are, are doing a good job to fight it and to put our case forward. Um, and I hope that something does change or at least it's looked at seriously, you know, um, and that at least those players who have been classed ineligible get the opportunity to compete in Tokyo because they have, they're, they've qualified with the team to compete in Tokyo they should be given that opportunity um, and then a decision maybe could be made after that. But um, yeah, it's ongoing and it's, you know, it's a shame because it takes away from what is such an amazing sport and that's where the focus should be, you know, amazing athletes playing such a great sport and competing at the highest level, dedicating lives to it, dedicating just the massive commitment it takes. Um, and that should be the focus rather than it being deterred away and it's all political. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I was struck by as you were talking, it's like there's a group of people that they're not able-bodied enough, but they're not disabled. But I mean, how can you, yeah. how can somebody make that determination? I don't yeah. get that at all. I don't get that. And that's yeah. about as well. It runs so much deeper than just playing <laughs> sport. It runs to like your identity. If you're told you're not disabled enough to play a disabled sport but you can't play an able-bodied sport because of your disability where do you fit you know there's not another category that you go into there's not another type of sport you can play you know so I just think it runs so much deeper and it's an identity issue as well that they can't just take that away from you yeah it's hard enough to it's probably I'm making an assumption because I'm able bodied but it's probably hard enough to identify as disabled, yeah, but then to be told, well, you're not enough, so yeah. but you're not able bodied either, so with you know it's like okay, so now I don't know now I don't know what now I don't know what I am, yeah, it's hard, yeah, and as I say, I mean, I'm grateful it's not affected me directly. But I mean, my heart just goes out to everyone that it has. And I just hope it can be resolved in a really, um, you know, I don't know, just resolved, I suppose. Yeah. Let's say in a time, timely and 
inclusive yeah. manner. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. With the athletes at the heart of it, you know, they're yeah. ultimately, that's why they're the ones out there playing. I think they need to be at the heart of this. The I'm going to make a statement here. You have a, a you have a platform that is very unique. Um, results of this very inspiring story mm. of perseverance and what what I would call just grit. <laughs> mm. um, what do you want? What are what are you currently using your platform for? And yeah. what impact? do you hope that that's having locally, UK wide, and then maybe even globally? Yeah. Um, oh, so many things that I would hope that I could achieve. And, uh, you know, but I guess right now I really feel that there's not enough representation of disability in the media. Um, there's not enough representation of women, never mind women with disabilities in the media. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, and I've, I've mentioned it before, but people need to be seen, you know, we need equality and that goes across everything. That's not just disability. It's not just women. It's race as well. It's everything. Um, because people need role models, you know, to look up to, to think, oh, I could do that. You know, I'm inspired by that. Yes, I might have a disability, but I can see that this woman is achieving in her field and I can aspire to be like that. You know, that's how, I guess for me, how life works is you're not always going to have the motivation yourself to do something, but sometimes seeing a little nugget of someone else's motivation can help you and can inspire you. So I guess ultimately that's my goal is, is to show, to show firstly the disabled community that, you know, an enjoyable, fulfilling life is still possible. And, you know, unquestioned in my mind that that is what I am achieving and doing. And then also, I think, to challenge perceptions of the able-bodied community that, again, the same sort of things. I live a fulfilling life. I've got a great relationship. I'm, you know, succeeding in my field. That I think that perception is, is the thing that I would like to challenge the most. Um, you know, change what people think about disability and how they perceive the capabilities of people with disabilities. Um, you know, mine's purely physical. It doesn't mean my intellectual um, capacity is changed, you know, and other people the other way around may have a, um, a mental disability, if that's the right word, but their physical um, condition is completely able-bodied, if you know what I mean. So it's those it's those challenges and those fights, I guess, that I would hope to, um, yeah, be be challenging and be, I guess, I don't consciously use it for anything with much purpose. I like, you know, sharing stuff and sharing things about my sport and about who I am and what I do. And ultimately, like, our sport is underrepresented completely. We would love more fans. We would love more sponsorship. We would love more people to know about it because once people come and watch the sport, you know, our chair is only our equipment. It's, it doesn't change the sport. It's exciting. It's fast. It's really competitive. It's high level. You know, we're dedicated to it. We train hard. And I think that would be um, something to change people's perception of around disability sport is, you know, don't look at us and think it's all that inspiration porn that people talk about, you know, that, oh, you're so amazing because you've been through this and now you're, now you're playing sport and it's great it's not that like it's just we're playing sport like and we're badass and we're like you know being 
being great at it like yeah of course some people have got really challenging stories and I'm the first one to talk about mine you know but that's not all about who I am you know there's equally inspiring stories in the Olympics or whatever you know in through any walks of life and that have been you know everyone's been through something you know to get them to where they are now so I'm guessing I'm just rambling a bit now but (laughs) no it make it it's you're totally making sense because it's it's about like you guys are you guys are full stop you guys are badass athletes yes I swore yes I swore on my own podcast (laughs) whoops you are elite athletes full stop not you are elite blah 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 athletes or like don't put any qualifiers on it yeah elite athletes period yeah and getting people to realize that your chair is a piece of kit it's Mm -hmm. no different than you know lebron james putting on sneakers exactly like he's got he he's got his sneakers you've got your chair what you know it's like it's just my sneakers look different yeah exactly yeah my piece of kit yeah no different than somebody who plays you know using a basketball or using sneakers or using um all these um sleeves and things that you know are supposed to help with swelling and all it's like it's no different it's no different yeah we've got to get over that mindset of it being disabled or playing a para sport makes you less of an athlete it doesn't In my opinion, it makes you more of a athlete because you've had to like overcome so much more, but that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, That is what I'm hearing is like what you want to bring to the forefront. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And I I would say that for, you know, at least my team, definitely that we want to focus on our achievements as athletes and prove that I think it is, you've got to prove it. Because, you know, there is perceptions that it's, you know, easier to get into disability sport or or whatever, you know. So it is about proving how amazing it is because we don't yet, God, we're not football, you know, we don't have millions and billions of fans, you know, God, I wish we did. (laughs) Um, But it is about generating, you know, a fan base. um, And that's, yeah, that is the goal, I think. Yeah, that's the goal. If you could give words of wisdom to young people listening or maybe to your younger self, yeah, what would it be? <laughs> to my younger self, it would be stop worrying about having big legs. <laughs> because I, <laughs> honestly, God, I die for those legs now. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I play so much sport. I mean, my mum even used to call me thunder thighs, which didn't help. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know I mean as a joke I, I was strong you know I was a strong athletic girl and I think I just got so hung up with things that are just insignificant now and but I remind myself of that you know what you look like is the least interesting thing about you as a person you know whether you've got your size four or your size 40 you know I think that's the whole role the media plays as well is is trying to put this instagrammable body on women and it just infuriates me that that it it takes up so much headspace of women that they're conscious of what they look like and you know health is the most important thing and if you're healthy you know who cares what if you've got cellulite or dimples or you know whatever it's health that is important yeah. So I, and I remind myself that I've now, God, I don't always get it right. I still have body hang-ups like any, anybody else. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, it's that's life. Um, so that would be from my younger self, hundred percent. And to other people, I guess just younger people coming into the sport or listening to this, um, I'm massively a yes person. Like I take up opportunities all the time and I think experiences are so valuable. Um, you learn from everything. So nothing can be a bad experience in my mind. Um, you know, you even if it's you've not enjoyed it, at least you know that's not right for you. You know, for me, something like work experience or challenging myself outside of my sport, if something doesn't click with me, I'm glad I still tried it because then I, at least I know. You know, I'm not going to waste my time doing that some more. So I would just say, you know, take opportunities as they come, find them, go out and, you know, research them. That's how I came across basketball without putting in the work. You know, I would never have got to where I am now. So I guess, yeah, those would be my my sort of words of wisdom, I suppose. Yeah. Say yes to the opportunities. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, I want to say a huge thank you for taking the time and sharing your afternoon with with me. It's been such a joy to have you. Yeah, thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you. I really, really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks. You've been listening to the Athlete EQ Podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us. Please make sure you take time to download and rate this episode and share it with someone. If you like what you heard, don't hesitate to go back and listen to our previous episodes. Please also subscribe for future episodes. And one last thing, we'd love to hear what you think. If you have some feedback for us, send us a message at aeqpodcast.feedback at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode.